welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101, we are joined by Deirdre, or as I like to call her, Didi Nazareth, a friend of mine and a functional osteopath. Functional and osteopathic medicine both seek to find the root cause of illness by asking why and considering things that may seem unrelated, such as treating skin conditions by treating the gut or treating headaches by analyzing joints in the upper back. This practice understands that the body has an inherent capacity to heal itself when given what it needs and aims to restore balance in order to achieve total health and well-being. I can't wait to talk to Didi today, who will discuss how we can use a functional medicine approach to improve our mental health. So Didi, will you start by telling us what functional medicine is? So it's basically a framework of health investigation. Do you want to think about it like a health CSI? <laughs> it gives you this framework where you're looking at physical clues, you're looking at historical clues in both the person's history as well as their genetic background, like familial history, to find out root causes of their illnesses or symptoms. So it's a way of connecting things in a pattern to make more sense of something that could be happening in the person's illness spectrum. So how is functional medicine then radically different from traditional medicine? The main difference is in the way that we look at things. So we're looking at a systems approach and allopathic medicine, while it has its um, benefits in acute therapy, it really doesn't have the same, I guess you could say gusto when it comes to treating chronic illness because of that one specific thing. It's you're using a different framework. So when you're treating chronic illness, there could be many different causes for one symptom, especially when that condition may have been going on longer and longer. So duration of a illness can really dictate and change the causes of what may be contributing to that illness. So that I would say is the main difference. It's the way that we, we look at things, what we take into consideration, how we come up with a solution is also different in that we don't really focus on pharmaceutical intervention. Our intervention is really holistic based. So we're looking at all those possible things of someone's lifestyle, as well as diet, as well as um, familial history, like I said before, that could be contributing to the current state of someone's ill health at the point that we see them. I mean, I think it's really fascinating because I've been on a journey with functional medicine as well. And for me, it's been life changing because it's that holistic approach, as you say, it's the like mind body connection. And actually, so often with Western medicine and the Cartesian model, we've like focused on either the body or the mind. And as science has progressed and as more and more research has been done, and we know about the link, for example, between the gut and the brain with the vagus nerve. And it's so, so important to focus on both. And what functional medicine seems to have got down to a T 
is exploring all of the interrelated interconnectedness of health in general. Yeah, absolutely. And within that, you can really give someone lifelong tools that they can use to implement and change habits that may have not been even looked at or considered in a conventional approach. And it's not to say that conventional is bad. It's more to say that they're just not geared towards chronic illness. They are very good with acute symptomatology. You know, if you had an emergency, that's different. But when you're looking at the incidence of chronic illnesses and the things that I see on a more regular basis, we can make such great strides in helping cure. Some things can't be cured, but really put things into remission if you want to consider autoimmunity and other causes of illnesses that we largely see today you're really giving someone their life back and a quality of life that they can actually have longevity versus the allopathic or conventional approach, which is to really adopt polypharmacy. And that's as anyone who has been on multiple pharmaceutical interventions, like my dad, for example, as you get older, the ability to manage those things becomes even more difficult. And actually experimenting with your own health is probably actually quite a crucial part of being a functional practitioner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just in terms of understanding general things and concepts that we've learned, I mean, I I guess let's take it to the gym, for example. You know, there are certain things in the gym and understanding about what things make you healthy in terms of exercise, you know, those concepts and those those beliefs have changed in terms of understanding what is actually bad for you, what is actually good for you. I hate using those terms because, again, it comes down to what may not be good for you at that moment. But we can safely say without exclusion that um, pretty much all processed foods are bad for you. We know that. That's, that can almost be like a set in stone thing. But other things evolve, and that's the nature of understanding about health too, broadly speaking. It's not just resigned to exercise, but it's also the diet. It's also understanding how environment plays into your health as well. Absolutely. And I mean, what first ignited your interest in taking a more holistic approach to health and realizing that actually maybe the conventional approach to things wasn't the only way? Oh, gosh. So that takes us back to probably when I was 19. <laughs> and I I worked as an EMT in university. Just tell us what EMT is. Emergency medical technician. So it's the first step to before you become a paramedic. And at that time, I really was gung-ho on being in emergency medicine. I always wanted to be a doctor from the time I was younger. And I kind of pursued my work and interests along that line. And I worked as an EMT while I was in university. And I I remember doing what we maybe callously called at the time, or not me, but that this is what they were called, they were termed as renal runs, which are taking patients from anywhere from hospice or from a hospital to go to dialysis. And I think that image and the, you know, everything around it, there were certain patients that I had to pick up and I just saw their state of health. And I made that vow then that I would, I would do 
anything that I could, I would find any way that I could to avoid having that as being part of my, you know, eventuality, or even to help as many people as I could find holistic ways of treating things like diabetes or any kind of kidney issue. I think that was the first time that I really saw, okay, there has to be another way. I'd, I, I'd, I wouldn't want to be strapped up to this machine. What could I possibly do and take to avoid having any issue like this later in life? Because the reason why this was such a, an important aspect for me is because I have cardiovascular disease on both sides of my family. And so then I basically went into personal training And then I read every magazine under the sun that I could about health and fitness. I was only reading those magazines. I started cooking really healthy for myself at home, you know, at school, which is not normal. (laughs) And I just felt better. I felt so much better. I was sleeping better. I was, I didn't feel unwell. Like I, I think the freshman year was really difficult because I was away from home. I was, um, it was exciting, but I was adopting bad habits, bad lifestyle choices that I had grown up with really nutritious meals at home. And and then at university, I was eating junk food, basically, and I was following what my friends did. And I had no, no concept or idea of like how that was connected to my low mood and how it was connected to my sleeping and feeling tired all the time. So yeah, I guess that would be the first time that I was really exposed to how holistic intervention can really make such a change because I did it to myself. (laughs) Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. If someone came to you, like me, presenting with a history of an eating disorder, anxiety, low mood, over-exercise, what would be your sort of, as it were, fire escape plan for them to begin with? Okay, let's break that down. Okay, so they... Low mood, um, anorexia or disordered eating can see when did that start? What was going on at the person's time around that? Like that's highly stress related as well. So we're going to look at key aspects in the history and then what things could be contributing to that. So how is that person sleeping? Because quite often with any kind of OCD or type of obsessive behavior, there's an element of a heightened sympathetic response. So that means that the person is really charged all the time or like highly stressed, but functioning, maybe functioning, but not necessarily functioning well or optimally. So it would largely be based around stress management. And that would look like addressing sleep, addressing diet, addressing nutrients. So what diet is that person having? What are they eating in in what they are taking in? And prioritize what the person can handle and explain how all of those things can contribute to the mental health issues that they're feeling. What if I was to say what were your top three stress management techniques, what would you 
say? So first and foremost, breath work. I mean, I think we all have been exposed to the power of breath over the last two years because it became kind of the focus on social media when it during the pandemic. But it's your main access to the one thing that calms your entire nervous system down. And your vagus nerve is actually controlling your diaphragm. So the one thing that you can do is change how your nervous system is responding just from changing your breath. So that would be the first. The next would be for me, someone might not necessarily find exercise being stress management, but for me and how it just relates to the entire body, you're getting fluid moving, you're getting your blood circulation, your lymphatic, everything is moving. It actually has a way of changing your mood just from exercising. It actually has a way of like alleviating things. You know, there's an element to exercise that people don't consider, which is exercise is one of the fastest ways to access your endocannabinoid system. And that feel-good or bliss molecule, adandamide, which is what is attributed to the runner's high, is really accessed through exercise. So that would be a huge stress management tool for me. And the third, I would say anything artistic-related. So for me, that's looking like anything creative. I love to paint or draw, and I don't get to do it all the time, but you know, anything that stimulates that aspect of my brain. It helps you think outside the box. It helps you disconnect from what may be causing the stress. So I would say those are my top three. And is it possible to combine functional medicine with conventional medicine? Absolutely. So I work with so many people that may have started on a conventional medicine path and once they realize they don't need their pharmaceuticals anymore, they come off them. And actually, that's how I probably would have started with majority of my clients in the beginning, because I was referred by patients I had treated, you know, treating their kids. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, can you treat my friend and, or this client I have? So at the time when I started with functional medicine, it really wasn't that known here. It was more known in the U.S., but there were only 11 of us who had really done the certification pathway and learned this way of treatment. And so broadly speaking, no one really knew what we were talking about. It's an interesting thing to see how things have evolved. But yeah, you can absolutely use functional medicine whilst also being on a conventional medicine approach because not only will those interventions help you manage the conventional approach better, For example, say like you're given antibiotics, but there's nothing else that they give you after that. And this is where a a huge amount of issues stem from. People who have been on long-term antibiotics, multiple rounds, they have no idea how that's impacting their gut microbiome. Fast forward a few years later and suddenly they get sick again. And now they have an autoimmune condition because they had that gut permeability that was compromised from the time they were children. Having a functional medicine approach with taking supplementation that helps you restore your microbiome is actually something that you should do. 
you know, I think conventional medicine should adopt more functional medicine approaches in terms of treating their chronic patients. If they give you antibiotics, they should say, you could do these dietary strategies that will help replenish what we, what we destroyed in your microbiome. But you never see that. No, you don't. And no GP really ever recommends that you go on a course of probiotics following a course of antibiotics. No, exactly. And I think for those who can't afford to go to a private functional medical practitioner, there is a lot of advice that can be gained online. And there are a lot of forums and a lot of discussions and articles. And I know I, for one, have learned a huge amount from just listening to podcasts, actually. Yeah. So there is there are resources out there for those listeners who can't afford to necessarily see someone on on a private basis. Absolutely. There's tons of information now. I mean, this is what's so great about podcasts. And if you can improve those basic foundational things, which is sleep, diet, and your ability to move, or your, if you're sedentary, start moving even the, the, in terms of longevity practices, now this is where everything is kind of moving towards rather than just, you know, we've had some trendy terms. So functional medicine has become a bit trendy as well. Um, lifestyle medicine, integrative medicine, but now the biohacking, anything biohacking related, let's just call it longevity because we want to live as long as possible, but as well as possible. You don't want to live long on multiple drugs. That's not living. You're just managing symptoms and you're just getting by your day. You want to be able to function pretty much more or less as you have done since you were young, when you were last well. That's probably one of the biggest questions I always ask. When were you last well? It's usually it goes back, oh, I don't know, maybe (laughs) 10 years ago, something like that. Or you know, you want to hold on to that memory and really use things that you can do, which is longevity practices. And these are things that you can do that don't cost any money, like taking cold showers. Yes, I know it's not nice, but it really improves a lot of um, functionality in your body. It helps you maintain so many things over and above just taking an, a painkiller, for example, you know, going for a walk, the British Foundation has published a document that says you need 10 minutes of brisk exercise a day. So you can just go outside, walk up a little bit of an incline briskly, and and that's it. That hugely can impact so many different aspects of health, but also just your ability to stay alive longer and well. Other practices are just eating whole foods, having more colors in your in your diet. I've also treated a lot of people who have a beige diet. It's basically like anything beige. There's no color in there at all. And then sleep. Sleep is so important. I can't even tell you how many people I've seen that not only don't sleep well, but just don't sleep enough. And they don't even attribute it to any of their pain conditions. So, And then finally, I would say even drinking water, it's so simple. But, you know, even I forget to drink water. You could go through a whole day and not drink anything. I have several people who I used to treat that just drank tea, not herbal tea, caffeinated tea, and just didn't even make the the, the ties that they were dehydrated. So, yeah, it's not that hard. It's it's really, yeah, if you want to have some specific things, you know, in, ter- in terms of looking into 
functional testing and supplementation, that's where the, it can get expensive, but you don't have to go, you know, if you don't want to do all of that, you can do a lot of things on your own through looking at these, these things online and podcasts, like you said. Well, I think you've given us a very thorough examination of what functional medicine is about. So yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating oh, talking to you. you. <laughs> How can people find you, Didi, if they want to contact or access some of your So tips? I'm on Instagram as the functional osteopath at the functional osteopath. Um, and then I have a website there. But if you had more questions about anything I spoke about today on the podcast, or if you have specific conditions, or maybe you have questions about something that you know, I'm happy to answer them. Just reach out to me there or on my email, which is also listed on my Instagram under the um, bio. Brilliant, Didi. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Thank you.